Hola Conchitas, welcome back to season three of the Self-Conscious Podcast. This is actually not necessarily our first episode, but it's considered our special bonus episode. It was recorded live with Planned Parenthood Utah, and we had two special guests join us on this episode. We had Angela Carrasco Inijosa, and we had Nancy Cardenas Peña to talk about access to safe abortion. Welcome, without further ado, welcome to this special featured episode in collab with Planned Parenthood Utah. Listener discretion is warned. This episode will be talking about abortion. Please proceed with caution. Welcome back to the Self-Conscious Podcast. This is season three. Uh, we are actually doing a special episode. So in collab with Planned Parenthood, we have two special guests with us this episode. We have Angela uh, Carrasco. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Can we say your last name? Okay. And we got Nancy, I want to say Nancy Cardenas, Cardenas Peña. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay, perfect. All right, so before we get started with this uh, episode, one thing I do want to do is sort of uh, give the guests like a, a fun question before we get to the more serious topics here. Um, and I actually didn't put this, I didn't give this question to them before prior to, so we'll go with it. Because this is coming out in the fall season, um, just wanted to ask both of you guys, what's your favorite thing about the fall season? What are you looking forward to now that the leaves are changing? Yeah, I actually don't really like fall that all that much. I always prefer summer, but this summer has been just really rough for me personally. So I'm looking forward to some change. So some cooler weather, some maybe like nice hot drinks. That's what I'm looking forward to. I really like the Halloween season. So I'm, I'm all about all of the aesthetics and decorating my house with all of the Halloween decor. So I think that's what I'm going to look forward to the most in October. So exciting. This is conscious in hot chocolate weather. Oh, yes, especially in the valley. I mean, if it drops below 80, everyone's running to the Panaderia. So it's like, like, yeah, it's that time of what it's that time again. All right. Well, this is the first uh, live episode for uh, the Conchitas out there and for all you new listeners. So honored that uh, Planned Parenthood Utah chose my podcast to do this episode. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. And we are joined by uh, an abortion storyteller and an expert from the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice to talk about abortion access in Utah. So we're going to talk about what's happening in Texas, the future of Roe versus Wade, and uh, yeah, we're gonna go down some questions that the people at, at Planned Parenthood uh, were able to put together for this episode. And then uh, all of you who are watching, feel free to ask questions um, along the way. We'll do our best to answer them or the experts will, cause I'm just here to kind of facilitate the conversation. So <clears throat> I guess to give you guys some context, the reason why Self-Conscious is doing this special episode is because I, believe in what Planned Parenthood does. It's not just abortion. There are other resources that they give out to women, especially things that we can't afford or people like me, sometimes you can't afford certain accesses like an IUD or uh, birth control. Primarily, that's what I go for. Um, And also just when you have not feeling the best and you don't have access to a health clinic or you can't afford to go to the hospital, Planned Parenthood pretty much helps you out and makes it work for you. So that's really why, and I thought that this conversation was much needed, especially because it's a conversation that makes a lot of us feel self-conscious. So I wanted to 
give it a platform so we can talk about it. And also because it's something that's currently happening, it's currently affecting people, not just in Texas, but could potentially affect people here in Utah and elsewhere. So, you know, we should talk about what's available to those, what's available to us and what resources are out there. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start with the introductions. We're going to let Angela and Nancy tell us a little bit about themselves. Angela, why don't you go first? And then we'll have Nancy tell us a little bit about yeah, so again, my name is Angela Angela. Uh, just a little bit about me. I have grown up in Utah. I grew up in Rose Park, um, went to Rose Park Elementary, Northwest, West High, and then went on to the U where I graduated with my bachelor's in nursing in December 2018, and then went on to work at the University of Utah Hospital. So I, I worked there for a year, then the pandemic hit. So I worked there for another year in the ICU. And then I decided to take a break from bedside nursing, and I'm now doing more case management stuff at a local treatment center um, for women and children who are experiencing substance abuse recovery. And that's that's a lot of my work history. But personal stuff, I mean, I I love to you know go out and enjoy the nice weather. I love to hang out with my dog. Um, I love to hang out with my family. And that's just a little bit about me. All right. Well, what about you, Nancy? My name is Nancy Cardenas Peña. I'm the Texas State Director for the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. I was born and raised in the Rio Grande Valley, which is a border community right next to Mexico um, on the southmost part of Texas and uh, lived in Mexico for a while and then came back, did my degree in Austin at the University of Texas there. And then wanted to come back because I wanted to keep focusing on the communities that are here and, you know, where I was born and raised and hobbies. Since we're talking about that, I love video games. I, I love to play a variety of different genres of video games and I like horror movies. Go figure from the Halloween decor question, but yes. Um, so that's kind of about me. All right. So as you guys can tell, we got two powerful, smart-ass Latinas on the pod today. It's going to be a good episode. We're here to talk about abortion access in Texas, abortion access in Utah. We're going to talk about future of Roe versus Wade, power of storytelling, and we're going to have Angela share a story with us. Nancy, I think this question goes more towards you. Can you explain what is happening in Texas and SB8? Is that right? Did I say that right? Yes, I'd be happy to explain. So SB8 was a law that was signed uh, by the governor in May. It was introduced during regular session here in Texas in January, but it didn't go into effect until September the 1st, which is why we're hearing a lot more about it now than ever before. And I don't think that it's an exaggeration to say it's the country's most restrictive anti-abortion bill. Um, it is a six-week prohibition on abortion, which you know, is actually less than six weeks if we're talking about folks' menstrual cycles and the realities of how irregular they can be. But it also has a caveat that basically says that if you are aiding and abetting an abortion, which basically means if you are helping someone get an abortion and are potentially found in violation of the six-week abortion ban, then they can take you to court. And of course, people don't, it doesn't really matter if you're in violation of the six-week ban, um, they'll take you to court anyway, because the point is to waste our time, to waste our resources, um, and instill that fear that people won't be able to do abortion work here in Texas. So that conversation becomes a little more, you know, a little more controversial when you're talking about potential conversations that we're having with people that everyone should have about 
you know, how they would like to make those reproductive health care decisions can now basically be met in court with a $10,000 bounty, which is the floor and not the ceiling. And people can definitely ask for more in court. So it's a little different than any other bills that we've seen just because of that. The bill also includes uh, something about how people are the enforcers of the bill because they wanted to make it really difficult to sue the bill um, in state and federal court. And, you know, their thought process was, well, you know, are you going to sue anyone in the country who is trying to sue someone who's helping get an abortion here in Texas? Because anyone in the country can sue Texans now uh, for trying to help with that abortion access. You know, they got sued anyway, but it's definitely a much more challenging prospect than any other legal case I think that we've ever faced here in Texas. Yeah, for sure. It sounds serious. And I mean, just to kind of bounce off of what Nancy's saying um, and starting to share a little bit of my own story. So I was someone who found out fairly quickly that I was pregnant. I missed my period and I kind of attributed it to stress because that's happened to me before and it's totally not an uh, irregular thing, right? Like stress will throw off your menstrual cycle along with exercising and a bunch of other things. So I was like, okay, no worries. But then at the week mark where I was like, okay, maybe I should, you know, take a test. And I was pregnant and I was like, immediately, I, I don't want to be a mother right now. Like I, I just, this is something that I do not want and I need to find a way to, to get help. And again, so like I am a nurse, I I knew what to do. I called Planned Parenthood. Um, Unfortunately, I was uninsured at the time, which just made things a little bit harder, like on the financial end of it. But I called Planned Parenthood. They were able to help me set up an appointment fairly quickly. But it was only because I had to carve out so much of my time to get to this appointment. Otherwise, I would have had to have waited another like week and a half to go to this appointment, which just goes to show, right? Like at this point, we're at the like five entering six week mark. And if something like this were to go um, into like legislation here in Utah, that would just make it impossible to try and get an abortion within six weeks. Well, I think that's like a perfect segue into the next question we had, which what are the current abortion laws here in Utah? Uh, Angela, do you know? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. So um, again, so just continuing on my experience, um, once I was able to schedule that initial appointment, Utah law states that you have to watch educational module on what abortion is, but really it's just to persuade you into not continuing with this procedure. And what this module was is the state of Utah believes in adoption over abortion. And so it urges you to continue with your pregnancy and ultimately give this baby up for adoption, which is not something that I considered or even wanted. And so, you know, I did the module. And then once you do that, you have to go into another appointment to try and um, get another educational session on what abortion is and what you're about to do and what this procedure is about to do to your body. And it's not um, informative in the way that you might think it is. Again, it's to try and dissuade you from continuing with this procedure. And so already you have carved out like so much of your time. If you have other children, you have to find childcare for, for your other children, right? Like if you have a job that doesn't allow you to make time for appointments because these are like nine to five hours, which most of us work, then you can't attend your appointments. 
And so once you go into your, um, once you finish the module, once you finish this other like session that tells you all about what abortion is that's mandated by the state, you can go into your appointment to, to get either like a medicated or a surgical abortion. Sorry, I just need a moment. I'm like <laughs> processing all this information. It's a lot. I feel like for somebody who doesn't know much about abortion, it's kind of like a lot of information to absorb. So given that it seems like abortion laws in Texas are getting pretty intense. And uh, Nancy, you mentioned about SB8. So how does SB8, the Mississippi Supreme Court case, affect abortion access in Utah and nationwide? So basically the court and that Mississippi court case decision um, sort of affects the overview or the potential of our cases going to the Supreme Court to be heard. And it's something that we're definitely paying attention to because we've our experience with the Supreme Court has been both good and bad and good in, in the way that we did have a previous Supreme Court decision called HB2, which was another really terrible abortion bill that happened here in Texas that basically closed half of the abortion clinics in the state of Texas. Basically, yes, the Supreme Court decision in Mississippi matters a lot to us, you know, it determines whether other cases are seen by the Supreme Court. And also it, it like really affects how our probability of getting anything, you know, voted in by the Supreme Court. We had luck with HB2, which was a previous really bad abortion bill here in Texas. Um, but we also had some not so great luck recently when we did ask the Supreme Court to interject on a temporary restraining order on SB8, and that was not granted. So we're definitely paying attention to how the Mississippi case uh, goes around because, you know, that that is a little different, but it still affects the nature of all of the abortion cases in the rest of the United States. I mean, with Will, with that, what can we do to support people on the ground in Texas? Like, what what can we actively do right now? Yeah, so it's it's interesting that you ask that um, because ordinarily my question, my answer would be like to direct folks to resources, and you know, it it's it just brings a lot of confusion and chaos thanks to parts of SB eight. Uh, because we can get sued for potentially saying something. Um, but honestly, the work is going to continue. Communities still need our help. Immigrant and Latinx communities throughout the state of Texas will still need access to abortion care. We saw this in the beginning of the pandemic when the governor closed all of the abortion clinics in the state. He said that he needed more bed space, but his mansion actually has more beds than probably all of the abortion clinics combined in the state. And so did people stop getting abortions? No. Did people stop needing them? No. People are still going to find ways to terminate their pregnancy. So I would highly suggest to, you know, coordinate and, and keep funding abortion funds here in Texas. We also have this, like, all of this potential writing on SB8, and I highly encourage folks to look in their own states, their own even local municipalities on how proactive people can be with abortion restrictions and, and abortion like cases that they're seeing. You know, we saw something here recently in, in the Valley at the local level where P they were trying to pass SB8 language, like exactly like that here at the local level. And so it really brings into perspective how municipalities play a role in all of this abortion conversation. And so I highly suggest that if folks want to support, you know, things that are being done here in Texas is um, not to recreate anything because those mechanisms probably already exist here. Get to know the folks who are doing this work, but also look into your own legislatures. You, there's probably potential for some really badass pro-abortion policy. And, you know, because of SB8, since there's so much conversation and spotlight around it, 
there's a really good potential to have things passed and continue fighting against abortion restrictions. Well, it's good to know that there's still hope out there to create safe abortion, despite what's going on. With that, like, I, I mean, this kind of does affect like what the future of Roe versus Wade is going to look like. Do you have any um, perspective on that, Nancy and you, Angela? I just want to piggyback off what Nancy said, like, because these things go into effect and they become laws doesn't mean that women or or anyone with a uterus, right, is going to stop getting abortions or terminating their pregnancies. It just means that now they're going to do it in a way that could potentially be harmful to them and cause all of these other issues. It's not going to go away. And so it's important to, you know, keep up with what's going on nationally. But it's also important to understand what's going on locally. Like Nancy said, it's you can do so much change um, and, and impact your own communities without, you know, feeling overwhelmed. Cause I know that that's something that I often feel is I'm like, wow, like all of these things are going on all over the place. Like there's nothing that I can do, but, but there really is just get involved at the local level. I'll add to that. I mean, I think a fundamental point that we have to bring up is how Roe is the floor and not the ceiling. And so even though Roe is like, technically legal, you know, there are still so many restrictions that affect people's access to abortion care. Um, I mean, you know, we have the Hyde Amendment, for example, that restricts federal funding of abortion care. Um, We have a state version of that here in Texas. We um, also have mandatory counseling. We have waiting periods. We have mandatory ultrasounds. And now a lot of people will have to leave uh, the state for the care that they need because a lot of people will have to terminate their pregnancies past six weeks. And so it definitely just brings into perspective how Roe provided that very basic guidance towards abortion legality here in the United States, but it's definitely not something that we should aim for to provide that comprehensive abortion care for everyone because abortion should be funded. Abortion should be met on demand and without apology. And regardless of any court decision that we hear, you know, regardless of of anything that comes out of SB8 or any other anti-abortion legislation, we know that abortion is a moral good. And that's something that we are going to continue to speak and continue to advocate for in our communities here. I feel like that's going to be a good segue into like, how do we help to stigmatize and promote healthy conversations about abortion? So like really quick, I grew up in a Mexican household with uh, strict parents. We were Catholic. And there's all these beliefs about abortion, you know, like it's a sin, it's bad, blah, 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 blah. And that's just the religious aspect into it. There are people who just, despite religious, just say it's morally wrong and all this and that. And so growing up, you know, for some reason, it just never clicked for me that it was like a religious issue, more like a health care issue. And why was it so bad? Like, because I kept thinking like if I were in a situation where like, for example, if I had been raped, and I would have gotten pregnant. I could not have the mental capacity to have that a child go through the nine months of pregnancy and still have that child from that traumatizing event. Because the event itself would be traumatizing and then going through the pregnancy would be traumatizing. So I, I always like thought like, well, how could that be so wrong? Like if abortion makes logical sense to me. And so I remember growing up, I would have this like constant conversation with like friends and family about, you know, what the pros and cons are. But I mean, the way you're saying it is, it just seems like it's just more, it's, it should be funded. It should be something that's given 
without questions asked. Like nobody has, you do not have to give a reason why you're having an abortion and it shouldn't be anybody's business why you're having one unless you want to tell them. And it's sad that we have to go through measures like Planned Parenthood to have an abortion or we feel like we can't go to, for example, like a underage kids can't go, if they were pregnant, can't go to their hospitals without giving their information just because there is that like more moral issue and people thinking like, well, yeah, I mean, it's just moral issue. I think as kids, we grow up thinking like, you know, you can't get pregnant as a teen. You're going to become another cliche X, Y, and Z. And then you think about abortion and then you think about all the segmentations about it. So it's kind of, it is a problem in society. We don't talk about it in the most positive light. Yeah. I think that's definitely something I struggled with going through my own personal abortion journey, you know, um, it all happened fairly quickly. So it almost felt like a blur, but leading up to this event, like I really had to go back and, and reflect. And that's something that's honestly been bothering me because, um, I had a similar experience growing up. I mean, my parent, my mom is a little more religious than my dad, but like not, you know, extremely, but they do hold certain values. And there has just been conversations within our family that, I can tell that abortion is not something that is seen as okay. Um, But that doesn't mean that I have to justify it to them in any way. And it doesn't mean, you know, it's hard because you, you grow up, especially like, again, me, like I'm a first gen student. Like I, my parents came immigrated here to try and give us like a different quality of life than they had when they were growing up. And so it almost feels, at least to me, like a slap in the face to them and to their sacrifices, but it's not, and it shouldn't be right. Like this is my decision. And it was something that I needed to do to, to do exactly that, to have a better quality of life, which is what my parents have always wanted for me. And so it's, it's very conflicting emotions and it's something that I have had to deal with and process. But I mean, I don't think that that should necessarily stop anyone from seeking abortion services if that's what you you want and you need for your life that first gen shame and trauma from being a first generation kid i know i know what that's like Uh, um i i i also see a question in the chat and i am happy to answer that along with this because i feel like it ties in so I think this is a really great question and i think talking about latino communities and latinx communities throughout you know the united states and you know the involvement of religion in that is super great because we like to break stereotypes all of the time when it comes to how we talk about abortion access. And I'll use a specific example from my organization. We call the members who we work with Las Poderosas. And there are a bunch of like Latina badass women who I think the age range is like maybe like 40 to 60. Um, Some of them are pastors of their own congregations, but most all of them, you know, have different religious backgrounds in all, all walks of life. And, you know, the basic messaging, we can do all of the complex polling that we want, but the messaging is so simple because we all know, we all love someone who's had an abortion, you know, plain and simple. And we've seen that time and time again. If we know someone who's had an abortion, most likely we're going to support that decision. And so it honestly comes down to that very simple messaging. It comes down to breaking those stereotypes within Latino communities that 
people of religious backgrounds can also advocate for abortion access and support abortion access. And, you know, on the we testify aspect of this, you know, I think Renee does a really great job in breaking down the stigma in a lot of communities in in black and brown communities throughout the United States. But one of the things that we really like to do is we have cafecitos, which is basically like one-on-ones or like smaller kind of uh, meetings where we go to people directly. And we have like like I said, very simple messaging. Like you probably love someone who's had an abortion. You would probably support them. You probably don't want anyone else to deter you from making a decision that's best for you and your family because the majority of people here in Texas already have children. And so when they're getting an abortion, so it's really important to have those like basic, simple messaging because most of the time it works and it's something that we constantly strive for here in Texas. I mean, it's kind of related. I was just going to ask like, what, um, why is it important that we share our stories and experiences? I feel like, you know, I've never experienced abortion or I've had an abortion, but hearing Angela's story makes it, makes me feel more comfortable. If I ever had to have one, I know I'd be fine. I know I'd be okay. Um, and then hearing what you had to say, Nancy, like, you know, all the information you gave us, okay, like this is something that is accessible. This is something that I can do. I think it's just having to battle what society has told us, what subculture has told us, what religion aspects have told us. But for sure, that's my opinion. I think it just makes it more for somebody to be more comfortable in having a safe abortion. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to share our stories because I know for me, I at the time felt like I had no one to reach out to, like no one that I could, you know, be like, hey, like this is happening in my life. What? what can I do? Or like, you know, and I know that's not the case. Like I have people in my life who are supportive and are willing to just listen if, if at the very least, you know, just, just sit there and listen to whatever I have going on. But that's how I felt at the moment. And it's, I only felt that way because these stories are not widely shared. Like it's not a dinner (laughs) conversation, you know, it's not something that we talk about and it's normal. Like everyone, as soon as abortion comes up, you can hear like the, and everyone just gets really quiet and tense and it's uncomfortable, but it's only uncomfortable because we've let it be uncomfortable. So if we keep talking about it, it's just going to normalize it and, and, and just make it a fact, you know, like abortion is a thing and it always has been, and it will continue to be. I like that, especially because when we do our polling, it seems like the opposition says abortion a lot more than we do. And I think that's that's wrong on so many levels because we should be unafraid and unapologetic about saying the word abortion because it's it's simple health care. You know, it's simple health care that people deserve to have. And I think when we're talking about the importance of sharing our stories, I can't talk about We Testify Enough because they are actual abortion storytellers who are, you know, spreading their story to legislators, to the media, to friends and family. And I'm really proud to be a part of that group. You know, uh, in my own abortion, I had a self-medicated abortion and that was something that worked best for me. Self-medication abortion is also something that's incredibly stigmatized in our movement. And I think we would all benefit from having more options, not less, whenever we're trying to access abortion care. Um, And so with the right information and the right guidance, self-medication abortion is a completely safe procedure. And it's something that worked best for me. Or you can cheat this out there, practice not being self-conscious about saying the word abortion. Just throw it out there every once in a while. (laughs) Feel a little bit more comfortable saying it. Well, with that, 
both Angela and Nancy here. Tell us why it was important for you guys to share your story today with us. What do you want, you know, whoever's listening out there to take away from it? Yeah, I know that it was important for me to share my own story because it's not something that I have shared so publicly. And I honestly, maybe it's a little bit selfish on my end, but I was hoping it would be a little bit liberating and it is. And I just wanted to share it because I know, or I'm sure there is someone out there, right, who going through the same thing or has gone through the same thing and has never seen themselves in someone else. And so if I could be that person for somebody, then I am all for it. Something that I've brought up again and again is is how crucial it is to have actual abortion storytellers into the narrative of of why it is important to have abortion care. Um, And I think this is a really long game, I guess, like, a, like, it's not something that we're going to see the immediate effects of, but we're sowing those seeds, right, in order to have the sustainable movement, where it will continue to flourish and grow, and continue to demand that abortion be, you know, funded, be safe, and be something that's accessible to everyone. And so my ideal scenario is a world where I will no longer need to work the my job, and I will be unemployed in in this aspect, I guess, because abortion will be available to everyone, and I won't have to yell at angry old white men outside of the Capitol to make abortion legal. Yeah, I I totally agree with Nancy. I think it's important, like, right now, we, we have a job to do, because, again, it's so stigmatized, right? But if we were thinking bigger picture, like dreaming really big, we wouldn't have to do this anymore, because it would just It would be normal and it is normal, but it's just treated like it's this alienating thing, right? Like if you've had an abortion, like you should just keep it to yourself. And that's not the case at all. I just wanted to give this conversation a platform to talk about it, to be open about it, to really dive into what resources are available out there. And yeah, thank you to Angela and to Nancy for sharing your stories. But that's not it. We're not done. We got one last question. We're almost there. Um, so with this last question, I'd like y'all to dream and tell us what reproductive freedom and abortion access looks like to you. Something that would be really important to me would be that this is something that's funded. And I think that's something that Nancy said before. Like I had mentioned earlier, I was uninsured at the time. And thankfully, there was an organization like Planned Parenthood that was able to work with me and my finances at the time and, you know, help me figure all of that out. But for people who have to travel out of state, like many people in Texas will not have to do, or people who, you know, they have their bills to pay, they have other things to worry about, like this should just not be one more thing on their plate, it should just be something where you can walk into a clinic, you can ask for it, no questions asked, you're given all of your options, and they're stated clearly, and it's free. I mean, I completely agree, you know, abortion should be funded and it should be available to anyone who needs it. I think it's also important to note that, you know, even though we have abortion restrictions, systems of oppression don't work alone. And so even when we're talking about abortion access um, and how terrible SB8 is, it doesn't affect everyone the same way. People with resources are still able to attain abortions. And I think that's something really important to note. Um, And also, you know, Roe is, is, you know, still standing, but, you know, abortions were still like federally, you know, barred from being funded. And so my ideal options will be available to everyone, but the other systems of oppression that come into play will also not exist. And that includes the abolishment of ICE and Border Patrol uh, and the abolishment of interior immigration checkpoints that surround border communities like the Rio Grande Valley that prevent people who are undocumented from ever leaving.
I will also add that I'm also the board member of the Frontera Fund, which is the only abortion fund that operates in the Rio Grande Valley. So if, if folks have questions or want to coordinate on abortion funds, let me know. Both of you guys are the experts. I just hope it doesn't, we can stop stigmatizing the term abortion, what it does and provide it, you know, create more opportunities and resources for the BIPOC community, um, the Latinx community, and to know that this is something that they don't got to be scared about. It's something that's, um, that is available to them and they can reach out to the right people. And we'll go ahead and shout out who, um, where you can find who to talk to if you want to talk to Nancy and her organization, or if you want to talk to Planned Parenthood here in Utah. Uh, we'll ha- go ahead and link that information in the bo- um, towards the end of this episode. We actually do have a couple minutes. Um, if anybody has questions that they want to ask before we wrap up. Oh, I had a question. <laughs> if I can ask it. You said, what was it like? Um, pill? Is that right, Nancy? You had a pill for your abortion? Yeah, medication Medi- for an abortion. I didn't know there was like different ways of having an abortion. Can you, is there like more than than just the medicated and you know i just know i'm sorry i'm only going to the image where like you know you're going to the clinic and there's like little pliers and stuff and i hate going to that one but i'm just wondering like if to get an abortion besides that because i didn't know there was more than one well the most common way to get an abortion here in texas is at an abortion clinic and usually um, what they have is medication abortions or surgical abortions, even though there's not really surgery involved in, in like a clinic abortion. Here in Texas, we have a telemedicine ban, which means that you won't be able to go home and, and take the medication with you. You have to take it in a clinic, but those are among the most common abortion procedures that exist um, here in Texas. Of course, there is a variety of other means and ways that folks terminate their pregnancies, but those are pretty much the most common ones. And it looks like we got a question from one of the um, listeners. If someone wanted to seek an abortion, what would be the first step? How should someone go about it? Yeah, well, I mean, in Utah, if you wanted to seek abortion services, definitely, I I mean, this just like came to my mind when I was seeking abortion services for myself. So I called Blind Parenthood. They were able to give me, you know, accurate information and like they didn't ever make me feel like I needed to do one thing or the other or like even stay in their clinic if I didn't want to. So um, aside from like actually receiving the abortion, it's I think it's important to find a space where you're just not like feeling judged or pressured to go one way or another. And I think Planned Parenthood in Utah does a really good job at, at that. It's kind of funny because now I can get sued if I answer this question. So it's it's really interesting, but the work continues, right? Um, and there's a lot of resources online on where to access an abortion care in the nearest, like the nearest facility to you. Here in Texas, the most common providers are Planned Parenthood and Whole Woman's Health. There's also the National Network of Abortion Funds that uh, directs you to the closest abortion fund in case you need funds for having that abortion procedure. Nancy, so you can't provide info for folks who aren't even in Texas under the law? No, I can't. Like I said, the work continues, right? So I'm sure there are resources online that people can access that would <laughs> give them the information that's necessary, public information, you know, but yeah, <laughs> under the SBA, I wouldn't be able to provide any sort of like direct instructions on how to access abortion care, even for folks outside of the state, you know, 
because folks outside of the state can also sue me under the law. So it's a little tricky, but we're, we're still here and we're trying to see what we can do. This just goes to show, right, like how restrictive and just terrible these laws are because this could honestly be like a life-saving thing for somebody and you can't share information. I mean, legally, I can't. Legally, right. <laughs> legally, I can't share <laughs> But, <laughs> wink, wink. Um, I'll meet you at cafe. We'll talk. Uh, I think it was, um, and whoever that listener, you're, you're welcome to join us for that conversation. <laughs> I'd like to know. <laughs> well, I mean, we're almost done. Does anybody have any last minute questions that you'd like answered um, while we got Nancy and Angela here? can we stay in touch with or follow to stay updated and involved during an upcoming amendment, uh, upcoming amendment? Oh my God, I'm sorry. An upcoming legislative session here in Utah. Do you, do you know Angela? I mean, I know that, Planned Parenthood is always giving out resources. Actually, we are part of a women's march that's coming up on Saturday. We are not official hosts, but we will, Planned Parenthood will be there. So if you all want to come find us on Saturday, we will meet at Washington Square at, um, I think it's 10 a.m. So if you all want to like just talk to some people from the organization, if you want to be part of it, um, we can definitely get you more resources. And like I said, we'll be um, tagging their information towards the end of this episode. So make sure you tune in, listen in. Um, they got their social media platforms. So you can also listen to them. I think they also got an email where you can uh, RSVP to uh, whatever um, events they have going on and information that they have. Yeah. So if you join, um, so it's called the Birds and the Beehive. It's another like branch off of Planned Parenthood. There are also... Um, just constantly information going out, so how you can participate, whether it's just like staying informed, right? Like keeping up on great news or actually like going out and, and you know, physically being part of something. And if you want to join our ambassador program as well, um, we can like put all that stuff linked into the chat, but you can also find it in our Instagram at PPA Utah. Cool. And then I do think we got one more question here. Um, I think this one goes more towards Nancy. Um, you know, there's still some questions about how not being able to share information about abortion work with the First Amendment rights. Can you just give them a little bit of why that can't happen? Yeah. I would love to talk about that because anti-abortion people love their First Amendment when they're yelling outside of abortion clinics, but apparently not to spread reproductive health care accurate information. So I just, I really stress that a lot of the majority of the lawsuits that will happen it, there's no credibility behind it. The point is to just take us to court and just to waste our time um, and waste our money and instill that fear that you can basically be sued for this. It, it becomes even more complicated because the lawsuits can be taken into courts with judges that are very conservative. It doesn't even have to be in the area where the, the violation is perceived to have happened. The plaintiff can basically choose where to go to court to. And so, yes, I mean, ideally, we would probably win those lawsuits, but it still costs a great deal of money to be sued and go to court and, and have all of that you know, be placed upon all of the activists and maybe people who do not have the resources that, you know, my organization does or other people who are doing the work. And maybe it's just someone taking someone to an abortion clinic or someone just talking about it, you know, like about abortion that isn't involved in this. It's, it's a great deal of emotional capacity 
financial resources being drained and that fear that's being instilled without any validity actually to any of the court cases that are going to happen. Red tape you got to get through just to get like access to abortion information. There's another question. How can people support and donate? There is a link that I think I can send to someone and maybe they can share it. It links directly to all of the abortion funds in Texas. And so your donation is spread out evenly among all of them. And I think that is the best way. I don't think huge organizations need the financial resources right now. I think it's abortion funds who are definitely facing all of the financial crunch and pressure from SBA. That's good to know. I feel like a lot of times people who want to donate, like automatically donate to like really big orgs. Yeah, I think it's just natural. Um, I mean, because we do have a lot of resources, but I think it's always really important to know that there are plenty of organizations in Texas doing really hard work. And that is the abortion funds. And, you know, they represent all different parts of Texas and they really need funds now more than ever. I think that's it. Do, do you, Angela or Nancy, have any last thing you want to mention before we wrap up? No, but I just wanted to say thank you to, you know, Planned Parenthood and to Nancy um, for, for Nancy for being here and Planned Parenthood for giving me the platform to share a little bit of my story. I appreciate it. Nancy? Well, I mean, thank you, Angela, for everything and for sharing your story. Thank you all for being here. Um, this is going to be a really, really long journey because SB8 is just starting and, you know, there's a lot more to come. And so I'm glad folks are sticking around for the fight. And thank you, Stephanie, for, you know, letting us use your your podcast. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you to everybody who tuned into this week's episode, who turned into this episode, the special live episode. We're going to go ahead and share the resources for Planned Parenthood and the organization that Nancy's part of. And those who are asking, like, how can we support? How can we donate? Once this episode is live, um, go ahead and share it with all your friends and family because they will have the resources available to them and they can hear this conversation and feel more comfortable with talking about abortion and safe abortion, more of that. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who tuned in. You guys have a good rest of your night. Well, the rest of the episode, thank you so much to Angela and Nancy for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and give them a sh- give them a chance to shout out their social media accounts if you want to go ahead and follow them. Unfortunately, Nancy had to tap out towards the end of this episode, so I'm going to go ahead and shout out her social media for her in just a bit. But I'll have Angela go first and shout out the social media for Planned Parenthood. So if you want to follow Planned Parenthood on Instagram, it's at PPAU uh, Utah. Also, if you want to stay in touch, make sure to join our ambassador program, as well as the Birds and the Beehive. And join us this upcoming Saturday on October the 2nd at 10 a.m. for our Women's March. If you want to help out with the Texas Abortion Funds, go ahead and head to https securectblue.com slash donate slash text. TX funds. I'll go ahead and link it in the bio of this episode and make sure that you don't forget to follow us on our social media pages to be up to date on what we have going on in the subconscious podcast, such as where guests will be on upcoming episodes, podcast collabs, small business highlights, announcements, and so much more. Our Instagram page is self-conscious podcast and our Twitter account is at conscious podcast. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. Like always, I hope you resonated with the episode. Learn something from it. If you liked the episode, go ahead and subscribe to the self-conscious podcast. We are available on all your favorite podcasting apps. And make sure when you leave us a rating, also leave us a review. Helps spread the word. While you're at it, go ahead and share the episode with a friend or family member. The more listeners, the better. We post new episodes every Tuesday, 9 a.m. at MC Standard Time. Eso es todo por hoy. I will see you all next week for a whole new episode. Until then, have a good one, Conchitas. And thanks for tuning in for this special episode. Again, thank you to Angela and Nancy for coming through. And check out the event going on this Saturday.